Hello, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombian's podcast where we bring that? you the stories and views behind the news. I'm Damien Pizzanti. And I'm Katie Gillespie. So we have a good show for you today. We're looking at sort of the past and future. Can I pause you for a second? Yes, you can. Don't we, I think every time we start this show, we say, we have a good show for you today. Oh my God, we do. It's a tick. It's awesome, guys. It's a tick. (laughs) It is a tick. You also, your other tick is that you refer to everything as a good, it's going to be a good conversation. I do. I do. But I think everybody everybody has their like fallback phrases and ticks that they do. Totally. And I got to say, like, if I were a listener... Um, I would be much more inclined to listen to somebody that said, hey, I've got a great show. Check it out. Rather than somebody be like, well, <laughs> uh, I we kind of ran, up, ran up against deadline this week. Yeah. And, uh... So we, we threw this together kind of at the last minute. And if you're just uncomfortable with dead air, you can play this show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are you going to listen to? A or B? So, yeah, we do have a but good no, show. Genuinely, today. I think this is a really good show today. So. I do, too. Yeah. <laughs> so we're looking, like I said, at sort of the past and future of Vancouver. So, Damien, why don't you? You talk about the interview that you did and what that's for. Sure. Um, whether you guys know it or not, the northbound span of the Interstate Bridge is turning 100 on Valentine's Day. Prior to that, there was no bridge. Hell no. Well, <laughs> there was. that's not entirely true. There was a railroad bridge that is actually it's still, still there, standing yeah. that was built in, I think it was like 1908. Okay. Um, but there was like, no, before that, it was like, well, even, even with that there, before this bridge, you were taking the ferry across and it was literally one ferry that just drove over like you would God, you, you got the mute's bad now you got on it in downtown like Ugh. the road ended at the ferry <laughs> and then he would commute around the end of the island over there and drop you off in portland and then come back huh yeah and and to think like at that point in time there were no dams on the columbia river right and so that thing fluctuated like crazy big river and there were times when ice would just completely shut down ferry traffic i sat down and talked with a local historian and uh journalist and just bridge extraordinaire um so stay tuned and check it out and then the next interview is with Chad Eichen, who is the Community and Economic Development Director with the City of Vancouver. And we talk about the downtown waterfront development, um, the 4,000-something units of multifamily housing that are coming online, mm-hmm. and just what, what what's is going downtown? on in Vancouver. What's going on in Vancouver? What's yeah. the future of the urban core? And uh-huh. how are we going to see, see this little suburb of Portland turn into its own... Uh, own little jewel on yeah. the Columbia. So yeah, will this like will this little fledgling turn into a swan or will it turn into a, a dead fledgling buzzard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a beautiful bird or an ugly yeah. bird. <laughs> anyway, and then as per the usual, we'll round out today by talking to Ashley. I really want to say this. I, I, we're going to go into our segment hanging with Ashley. I know, and I would, <laughs> I would, uh, I would just like to express my disappointment that we did not receive any suggestions yeah. on what to. I, I'm, Shame on you guys. I'm going to call it Ashley's corner. I don't Ashley's care. corner. Ashley's corner. Cool. So. Cool. We, we need to come up with like a cool like. I wish we had like some like lead, <laughs> cool lead-in music. Shock buttons. <laughs> yeah. Ashley's cool. And then had like like if we could have like some like snappy beats to play as we yes. like lead into her. That, that would, would be, be cool. great. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Shame on you listeners for, for not giving us any ideas. But it's not too late. We'll still take new ones. So I'm sitting down with local journalist and author Sharon Wood Wartman, who's going to talk with us about the Interstate 5 bridge. I have two, actually, I started writing about bridges in 19, 
84. I did an 11-week series for the Oregonian as a freelancer. Oh, cool. Okay. So uh-huh. that kind of got me started. And believe me, I was no bridge lover. I happened to grow up on the east side uh-huh. of Portland. And my grandmother had Jeffrophobia. Uh-huh. Do you know what that is? No. Has fear of bridges. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Wow. And so it was 10 miles to downtown, but... We might as well have been going to Paris because, (laughs) like, we never got into downtown Portland. So Uh then when I was in my 30s, I was curious about them, had a chance to write about them for the Oregonian. And so that just, that was the first thing I'd ever written. They paid me money. I had 11 bylines. I was, like, totally hooked. Yeah. And ended up becoming a freelance journalist. Cool. And then in 1989, the Oregon Historical Society published this book. Started leading bridge walks, and I ended up taking like 20,000 people bridge walking, mostly school kids. You are the kids. perfect source for this story. Yeah, well, it's kind of weird. You know, it's like, I didn't really... <laughs> so it's kind of like these bridges were uh, connecting me to a different way of life. So I'm totally mm-hmm. sold on them. At the time the 1917 bridge was built, there were only 2 million people on all of Oregon and Washington, uh-huh. which when you contrast it today... So people often ask, so why did they just build this, like four-lane bridge or you know that's not very big well you know there had been 10 bridges built in portland by that time mm-hmm. and so everybody was just delighted to have a way across the river and not have to use ferries everything had to be ferried wow. and then after the world's fair in <clears throat> portland in 1905 it was just a matter of time because population just hugely jumped. Tell me, um, man, you know so much about it, it sounds well, like. Well, it's like it's a lot of facts, you know? That's okay. I love facts. Okay. It's- well, you can get all the facts out of the book. I mm-hmm. want to talk about what the bridge means. Okay. T- tell me okay. that then. Um, you know, this bridge is the only place between Mexico and Canada that cars stop for sailboats. <laughs> 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 that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, it's like, that's its claim to fame. Uh-huh. You know, on the whole I-5 corridor, what uh-huh. is that, 1,400 miles or something, you get to stop for sailboats. <laughs> and a lot of people really see this as a detriment. I think it's really sort of serenity-inducing to know that when you get to this bridge, you're really not sure what's going to happen. <laughs> so uh, It's funny that you use the term serenity because most people I think would use unnerving or <laughs> aggravating <laughs> rather than serene. Well, I mean, it's like other things. You just kind of have to live with it, right? Yeah. And I don't if think, I think if people had a better idea of what the bridge was, mm-hmm. I mean, it's part of this amazing collection. And this mm-hmm. to me is really important. So Portland, Vancouver, okay. Mm-hmm. There are only three main bridge types in the world and only three main movable bridge types. And we have all six here. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then the beam girder truss. They're kind of in their own category. So interstate Uh, uh is that type. It's the beam girder truss. So it's really a big through truss. So the cars and the trucks drive through the trusses. Right. So there are deck trusses where you go over Uh the deck, like Ross Island. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And... There are only three main movable bridge types. So you have bascule, Mm -hmm. swing, like your amazing 1908 swing bridge right here that you can walk to. Most people don't even know about that. I brought thousands of people over to see this 456-foot-long swing span move around. Your railroad bridge is incredible. Uh Uh And you have, ta-da, vertical lift. Right, right. So... 
that's your bridge. Got you. So if you were to sit in traffic and just kind of look at this bridge and study it, mm-hmm. what you would see is not one big steel structure, mm-hmm. but trusses are made up of little pieces of steel mm-hmm. riveted together. Mm-hmm. So, and it, it, the, in the vertical lift bridge is an American invention. Hmm. And the guy that invented it mm-hmm. helped design this bridge. So all the bridges in Portland were designed by these big, famous engineers who mm-hmm. came to Portland and Vancouver hmm. to construct these bridges. Even your um, 205 bridge opened in 1982 was the first bridge of its type, the first major bridge of its type. Wow. Didn't yeah. Know that. So anyway, if you like superlatives, you only have to look <laughs> at these bridges. <laughs> and so you like this thing. You like the I-5 bridge. I do like the I-5 bridge. See, my personal opinion is uh-huh. that you're never going to build a capacity. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's so funny to hear you say that because I've been coming through like the old archival stories that we have. And in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, people were losing their minds over the traffic jams. It's like the only stories that the, if I didn't know better, I would think that the Columbian only wrote about traffic on the I-5 bridge because there's so many of those articles. And then, you know, the bridge counts are like, there was 85,000 people that crossed the bridge at this point. It's ridiculous. It's like, that happens by noon now it's like easily the numbers are well beyond a hundred thousand yes it's a new world and it's an old bridge and it's painful you know Mm -hmm. the solutions are painful it's Mm kind of depressing really i mean (laughs) i don't want to get depressed about it but what what do you do Uh there's no money for infrastructure there's an inability between our states to come to an agreement Mm -hmm. on a solution that everybody can agree with Mm -hmm. but um the first bridge that opened in Portland in 1887, and Portland was established about the 1850s. It took all kinds of lawsuits to get that first bridge built. Mm-hmm. So building bridges mm-hmm. is a contentious thing. It is not just this bridge. Mm. What's happened with interstate, you know, it's like, I don't know, long, difficult birth. And um, freedom is messy. Mm-hmm. And so freedom to move as fast as you want vehicles today, that's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people haven't accepted that yet. Yeah, I think that might be so anyway, true. That's just my opinion. Not everybody mm-hmm. thinks it's impossible to move between Vancouver and Portland at 70. I think those days are gone, but yeah, I know. I think you might be right. So is this, I mean, this thing is 100 years old. I know. And at this point, like... You know, it's on the National Historic Register. Yes. And, I mean, as far as European standards go, this bridge is not that old. But I think in the American world, like, this is an antiquated piece of technology. Yes. From your perspective, like, does it still have a useful life in it? And is, is it still serving the function as well as it might have when it was first opened up or even a few decades ago? Well, it's certainly a museum piece. (laughs) <laughs> it has its purpose when you go to museums and you admire history. Uh-huh. The other thing I tell people when I do bridge walks is that you want to enjoy Portland and Vancouver while it's here. Because it it's my personal belief and the civil engineer I'm married to that, mm-hmm. um, well, no, it's not a matter of if we're going to have an earthquake. It's going to be when. Mm-hmm. So you see this, the, a vertical lift has inherent liability. Mm-hmm. And those big counterweights up in the tower. Mm-hmm are just going to go. 
they're just going to go because there's just was not the kind of foundation Mm -hmm. put under the interstate bridge in 1917 or even 1958 that would meet those standards today. Mm -hmm. Those things each weigh a couple million pounds, don't they? Yeah, they're going to sway like coconuts in a tree. I think the, the piece of the interstate bridge is that it's really part of a sort of a family through here because of the bridge at Hayden Island. I mean, a lot of people don't understand that you couldn't have the interstate because you'd just end up in the water again across the slough mm-hmm. without the Hayden Island Bridge. So it's a corridor. Mm. But when you're on the Hayden Island Bridge because you're on a deck, mm-hmm. you, you don't even know you're on a bridge. Um, and when people are traveling very quickly, you don't see. I mean, you just you just want to get to where you're going. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a bridge for sightseeing, and that's too bad mm-hmm. because... Well, unless you're stuck in traffic. Yeah. Then it's a bridge where if you knew what you were looking at, mm-hmm. you could probably appreciate more. Mm-hmm. Is it a fairly common d- bridge d- style, this lift style bridge? Yeah, vertical lift, as I said, they were invented in the late um, 1800s sure. by Waddell and Harrington. And they became popular. You know, a basket bridge will open up, and so it yeah. doesn't matter how tall your ship is mm-hmm. so and uh, a swing bridge mm-hmm. will move now the problem with our swing bridges is they were built 1908 when ships were tiny yeah so they had to change out the bridge 5.1 on the willamette uh-huh. so did you know that used to be a swing span I no idea were you even born in 1989 damien i was to, i was okay. three okay mm-hmm. so in 1989 when you were three this was a swing bridge mm-hmm. they took the swing out and they made it into a vertical lift. Oh, okay. So that's the same kind of bridge as the interstate bridge. Mm-hmm. The other vertical lifts in Portland are the 1912 Steel mm-hmm. and the 1910 Hawthorne. Hmm. So this is the family of the oldest bridges, these old truss vertical lift bridges. Gotcha. Yeah. And if you look at them, I mean, they look very much the same. Mm-hmm. Interstate just happens to have very long approaches. Well, I love the Interstate Bridge because it's an industrial era bridge. Mm. It is a showpiece of its time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Can you explain yes. a little bit? What do you mean by that? Well, just the technology. Like mm-hmm. They stopped using rivets in 1958 and went to high strength bolts. So there's three, you know, where you connect a bridge. So I build bridges with kids at libraries we use hot glue for our connections right on real bridges Uh you have a choice uh now of pretty much this kind of a bridge so it's either going to be um welded Mm -hmm. or it's going to be made of concrete Mm -hmm. or in the case of vertical lift bridges then they will use high strength bolts Mm -hmm. but interstate was built in the era where they still used rivets that's what it's made of. Now, wow. the next time you go out and look at that bridge, uh-huh. you'll see the old 1917 span and the newer span. Uh-huh. So you can take a look at how that differs. So wow. in a riveted bridge, uh-huh. if they didn't put the pieces together at the fabrication shop, they uh-huh. had to be riveted in the field. They went to different technology in 1958. The Morrison's actually the last riveted bridge in the Portland area. Okay. And then after that, it was high strength bolts. Got you. So go on more. That it's like it's a. Uh, you said it's an industrial era bridge. It, it that's, is. That's evidenced by the rivets. Is there yeah, anything? Yeah, that's part of it. And the steel and 
it's just a classic bridge. Uh-huh. It's a classic of its time uh-huh. and underappreciated because it's just not doing its job like it's supposed to. So in your research with this bridge, did you um, did you ever come across any point in our history when it went from being a fa- like a an appreciated uh, practical solution and then switched into like a this damn bridge is too small and we are frustrated with it. That is such a good question. It's probably on day two after it opened. I mean just think about what happened was was going on with cars in 1917. Mm -hmm. I mean the the first Hawthorne Bridge in 1910 the railings were built at a height to keep horses from jumping over the side Damien. We're just barely out of buggies and you know street cars and and mm-hmm. just now, so now the automobile has arrived. Mm-hmm. So the obsolescence was felt. I don't know that because I didn't live then and I mm-hmm. haven't read all the stories, but I'll bet it was felt pretty soon. Do you know why they settled on this type of design for this? Well, bridges are always solutions to problems. Uh-huh. Okay? So uh-huh. you had this wide Columbia River. Uh-huh. You had... River traffic didn't want any stinking bridges in their way. Let me tell you, that's why Portland was 50 years in getting its first bridge. Because remember, the Columbia and the Willamette then, they were the I-5s of their time. Mm. That's how everything got here. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't have highways. Mm-hmm. So the only way things got in was through the rivers. Mm-hmm. And the shippers didn't want any bridges getting in their way. Mm. So they had to come up with a design that was going to allow that shipment on the river, which is very different today. I mean, you look at downtown Portland. I mean, there were tall masted ships going all the way down to Ross Island. Mm. You will see no signs. You will see no signs that this is a river city after you get to the steel bridge. Mm-hmm. Everything south is like gentrified. Mm-hmm. I am not a historian. I'm, I'm a journalist more, and I love history, but mm-hmm. my master's is in education. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm just a make-believe historian who <laughs> well, loves to share facts <laughs> with people. Okay? I get that. Yeah. Like right. a true journalist. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that bridge has been used a long time and has provided much public service mm-hmm. without people throwing money at it, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't know. I try not to anthropomorphize. <laughs> I don't know. You know, there's something spiritual about a bridge, as far as I'm concerned, because uh-huh. people might argue with me, but I think uh, the word bridge is probably the world's oldest metaphor. Hmm. Yeah. I just think it's so interesting. And so I watch with interest to see what's going to happen with this bridge that needs some help. Mm-hmm. As it moves into its second century. It needs some help. Yeah, either mm-hmm. it needs some terrific earthquake proofing, which is prohibitively expensive, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, I don't know, does it need replacing? Or do we just need to keep this bridge and put something else somewhere else? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to live long enough to find out. That's the debate right now, right? Thank you so much. You're welcome. So, um... Let me let me talk to my editor. All right, so we're sitting down with Chad Eichen, who is the Community and Economic Development Director at the City of Vancouver. Thanks for coming on the show, Chad. Glad to be here. 
so yeah, we were we were bringing you on to talk a little bit about where Vancouver is going. Um, we've we're, if you've driven around downtown, you've seen cranes and construction and just so much activity that is currently happening in the downtown Absolutely. core and and around it. So um, can you kind of let's just kind of start thirty thousand feet and let's kind of talk sure. about what um, what what the big vision is for the city going forward. Sounds good. Um, I mean, there is so much going on right now, as you pointed out, um, from the waterfront to redevelopment of the downtown uh, to apartments and hotels that are popping up all over the city. Uh, so it's an exciting time to be here. Um, and uh, we are seeing that th this uh, growth is going to continue for the foreseeable future. Um, and uh, so the city, I think, is in an interesting transition uh, place between being the small town uh, where you know it, uh, you walk down the street and you you see people that you know and everybody says hi to becoming a, a, a bigger city and um, and what we uh, are interested in seeing is as we grow into that um, that bigger city uh, that we don't lose the small town feel so in a smaller city, uh, for example, uh, you can pick up the phone, call someone, and they can either answer your question or, or get you to someone probably within one, fo one phone call without having to go through a huge bureaucracy. Right. That's why I like working here at the city of Vancouver. Um, it's, it's easier to get things done and, um, and respond to the needs of the citizens. So. It's, it's interesting you bring up that small town feel because, you know, I've only been here for about a year at this point. And um, even before I really became fully aware of everything that was going on with the city, um, it, there was just a feel all over the place that it was kind of in this transition from going from being a Portland suburb to getting much more of a, an identity of its own. Um, and so when you were talking about that small town feel, what does that look like, uh, be, even just beyond City Hall, what does that mean for, you know, like our neighborhoods and like the way our streets are laid out and things like that? Well, um, you know, it's uh, neighborhoods that are easy to, to walk in, um, easy access to parks. Uh, it's a family friendly place. We've got great schools. Um, those are things that you don't necessarily associate with a big city, um, and so I think we're we're kind of in that sweet spot of of having all the benefits of a of a smaller town, um, yet we're the fourth largest city in this uh, state of Washington, so we've got credibility with uh, with the state legislators. Um, um, plus, we're also starting to see uh, big city amenities uh, coming uh, coming into the city. Um, Downtown's more walkable. There's uh, a lot more brew pubs popping up, um, tech firms, uh, those kinds of things uh, that are attracted by by a certain amount of density. I think one of the things in the last year, I can't remember exactly when it was, but um, but when Willamette Week listed. Vancouver's downtown waterfront as one of the top reasons to live in Portland um, and, I, and and to be in this area that that's one of the best things about this area and, and yeah. it hasn't even come online yet so that seems like that's that's 
I don't know. Is that kind of like high pressure to know that we're going to have this this massive waterfront development project that's going to bring in tourism and visitors maybe coming up here to play instead I, of the other way? I think their yeah, expectations are very high, I think, throughout the community. Um, so there is a little bit of pressure to make sure that we get it right. Uh, we want to see um, we, we don't want to see that opportunity wasted on small-scale development. We want it to be an urban, vibrant place uh, for people to come and, and visit and, and work and live. Um, not many cities have uh, this kind of an opportunity to have 30 acres right next to your downtown on yeah. the water facing south. I think the hard work's been done. Um, it doesn't, it may not look like it if you go out there, but the um, the the planning work for you know what's going to go where um, has been done the infrastructure planning has been done uh, not a very visible point in the process uh, but the plat was recorded and that means that blocks are created um, the developer can start to sell those off to other developers um, so I think the pace of of the actual development, the, the buildings coming out of the ground is is uh, going to pick up here pretty quickly. Hmm. What do you think that means for the rest of the downtown? You know, I think that people with shorter memories might forget just quite the evolution that's really happened in the city's urban core in the last two decades. So, yeah. y you know, with this new big injection of this new capital and new infrastructure, uh, do you think that's going to reshape the face of what we see down here right now? I think it could be transformative to the entire downtown and the and the community and and our whole identity, um, because it's it's just that big and it's that visible. When you come over the I five bridge, that's the first thing you're going to see, um, instead of underutilized industrial land. And um, so I think that's it's going to help Vancouverites um, sort of change their identity. I think it's going to lead to a lot of community pride it'll draw people from out of town too um, especially this pier feature that's under construction now it's going to extend 90 feet out over the Columbia River with no pilings so uh, you could conceivably drive a boat underneath it it's just going to be an iconic feature this is purely just me speculating at this point yeah. but <clears throat> I really like downtown Vancouver I mean I, I spend a lot of time here as I'm sure you do because I work yeah. here I think that it's still kind of um, I think it's off the radar for a lot of people that live in this area like I know a lot of people that live in East Vancouver that never come over to this side because yeah. they don't need to they've got everything they need over there and um, really, my hope for this city is that waterfront development will create like a or add more cr cultural credit uh, to this side of town. I think it could. Uh, it, it would be uh, one more and in a, in a in a big reason I think for people to make the drive downtown. Um, obviously, we want to, we're we're not just solely focused on downtown. We want to be able to uh, for people to have services near them where they live um, to make the whole city more livable. But I think um, every city needs sort of a central gathering place and, and we've got that right now with uh, Esther Short Park and um, this will be two blocks away and um, it'll be just be an extension of that, of, of that living room, if you will, uh, for Vancouver. And uh, you touched on something um, about the main street and um, just kind of the character of the downtown. Um, we think that 
the waterfront, which is going to have you know big shiny new buildings, um, is going to be complementary to the main street. It's um, and hopefully will be additive in terms of bringing people to shop on Main Street and go to restaurants there. But the reality is, is that housing is down here is is pretty limited. But you guys are, but the city of Vancouver has a lot of multifamily coming online here in the next we definitely few years. Do. Talk about that a little bit. Well, we've multifamily's been hot for the last couple of years, and um, based on the number of uh, multifamily projects that are sort of making their way through our review process, that's going to continue uh, into the next couple of years. We've got 4,000 multifamily units that are uh, at some point in the review process. Wow. From the earliest point where we have a pre-application conference with the developers all the way to being under construction. So, um, And about 1,800 of those are at the tail end of the process. So oh. th those could be coming online uh, within the next 18 months or so. That's great. I mean, the city definitely needs more housing stock. Uh, one critique I've heard from people about Vancouver is that so much of the city is this like segregated use kind of development where you have blocks of just drive-in neighborhoods and cul-de-sacs and then strip malls. And, you know, there's, these are these are all neighborhoods that were sprawled out in, you know, obviously from like the 60s onward as the yeah. city expanded. But now that so many, uh, so many other cities, and it seems like there's just nationally this conversation about walkability and mixed use, are we going to see more mixed use development in this city, or is it going to kind of continue to be like it has been, where it's you know segregated developments? That's a great question. Uh, um, getting services near where people live, I think, is key, especially as. Um, we have an aging population and more and more people want to um, stay in their home as they get older and they want to have access to services whether it's the grocery store or a doctor they shouldn't have to get in their car to, to drive to those places um, unfortunately we've got sort of a, a city that's fairly built out there aren't we can't just um, it's not a it's no longer a blank canvas I guess um, but we we can uh, encourage more mixing of, of uses in neighborhoods uh, through our zoning um, and maybe some other incentives that we can can work on coming up with is there talk about actually making those changes going on in City Hall right now we we don't have any updates to our plans um, uh, sort of in our work plan uh, we're and in I mean, by plans, you mean in terms yeah. of the city master plan, city yeah, comprehensive plan? Yeah, the comprehensive plan. plan. Um, w we we did a minor update to that uh, last year. When the county was going through its? Yeah. Okay. And we've got, um, I think, another five or six years before our next scheduled update. And that one will be a more major update. We do have policies in the plan now that encourage, uh, or that encourage, um, that kind of mixing of uses, but the zoning map doesn't always um, reflect those intents. So, and by encourage those kinds of zoning, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that actually mean for a developer? It would, it would basically be to um, we do have pockets of what are called neighborhood commercial mm -hmm. uh, zoning, uh, which allows for um, those kind of services like. Uh, 
restaurants, laundromat, uh, things that you would want in close proximity. Gotcha. Um, so the, the zoning does, in many neighborhoods, ha um, has these pockets of neighborhood commercial, but they've just never been developed. And I don't understand the reasons why. You know, there must be, you know, maybe they can't get financing for for a small project like that. The policy nerd within me is fascinated by these things, especially when I drive through different parts yeah. of the different neighborhoods within the city, because you can see what era uh, that these different developments were put in, and even though they might be right next to each other, you know, there are some that don't have sidewalks, because it was presumed in the 1960s mm -hmm. that everybody was going to be driving everywhere. That's right. And then you go into, you know, older ones like this, like just up above us here, um, and, you know, everything's laid out in a grid fashion and the houses are smaller and it's just it's fascinating stuff but i think that the the bigger thing that really sticks out to me is how so much of our management is really managed as we're trying to figure out the way we're going to go in the future it's managing this inheritance that we've got from you know the people that were here before us that laid right. the city out to begin with you're absolutely right and and so we're somewhat limited in in um the changes we can make but as we get younger people moving into Vancouver um, and people who have been in other locations that are more walkable, uh, they're going to insist on having those services closer to where they live, um, which will, I think, um, lead to, you know, city decision makers reassessing, um, you know, the current landscape and how we can how we can make those changes. What does all this mean in terms of affordability for Vancouver? Um, obviously, as expensive projects go online, that means that there's uh, presumably higher property values, could be higher property taxes. What is the, the w What do you think this might look like in terms of keeping Vancouver an affordable city to live in? Well, that's, uh, that's one of our biggest challenges right now. Uh, for the last couple of years, we've been at the top or near the top of places uh, with the highest increases in rents, mm -hmm. uh, which is not a list we really want to be on. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a lot of work's been done by the mayor's uh, affordable housing task force to to, to tweak our policies and um, uh, come up with other, other ways that we can sort of uh, apply some downward pressure on rents. Um, part of that's uh, encouraging development of more units and you're seeing that right now with apartment projects all over the city uh, to the prop one which uh, creates a basically a fund uh, to help build or pay for more units to be built or um, to help existing affordable units to be preserved mm -hmm. and rehabilitated um, to also uh, options for housing the homeless to our, our city council's credit, they've really stepped up and, you know, taken a little bit of political heat for um, making these bold decisions. But um, I think in the in the next couple of years, we'll start to see that paying off. Um, so. I mean, obviously, housing stock is really tight here in the city. But correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not quite the same thing when it comes to like business space or commercial space. Um, I, my knowledge of that goes at least to the downtown, where I've heard we have a lot of vacant uh, office buildings. Uh, at the the height of the recession, we had a ton of of uh, vacant office space, 
and it's slowly uh, been coming down. A lot of companies have, have grown since the recession. They're adding employees. Um, we've had some new businesses move in. A good example is in the downtown. Uh, we started, um, and this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but we started an innovation uh, partnership zone um, uh, four years ago, and we had 19 tech-related companies in the downtown, um, you know, from two-person firms to, you know, 40-person firms. Now we've got over 40 tech companies just three years later wow. uh, in the downtown. Hmm. Um, so uh, I think uh, part of that is Portland companies are looking for more affordable uh, places to rent. Mm-hmm. Um, they know Vancouver is a, a great environment. We've got all the things that their employees want, like uh, food carts and brew pubs and coffee shops. Um, uh, so it's kind of a, a fun tech scene that's that's developing here. You talk about the city in this transitional phase. Um, like a, It's like a city adolescence. But <laughs> give, given that we're at this point, we're on the cup, cusp of all these like new changes and this development that is happening, uh, what is it going to take for the city to manage that growth well? The follow-up to that would be, what would what would the city look like if that growth and development weren't managed well? Wow. Mm. How much time do we have? That, <laughs> that could be a long answer. Um, well, I think the, the key to all of this is livability. Um, and what makes a city livable? It's... Um, it's quality and affordability of housing. It's being able to walk where you want to. Uh, it's good schools, access to parks, um, access to services and a variety of services. Um, so I think we score pretty highly in, in all of those categories. Things like income levels are not we're not doing so well in, and so we we need to do better at uh, attracting those jobs that get our, our median income levels up. Educational attainment, uh, we uh, rank lower than many other cities our size in the, in the U.S. That number is going up. Three years ago, we broke into the top 100 most livable cities in the U.S. From whose? Uh, livability.com. Okay. And they, we've fallen off that top 100 list primarily because uh, affordable affordability of housing has gotten worse. Um, our incomes aren't keeping pace with where they should be. And educa- education attainment, those are the three three areas. Access to recreation, we were, we scored higher than the number two most livable city. Which, Whoa. Which at the time was, uh, I think it was Berkeley. Wow. Berkeley or Boulder, I get them mixed up. So, so we've got a lot of things going for us, um, but there are some hopefully dials we can turn to to um, improve those other areas. Questions? Yeah, I think so. What's what are you most excited about? What are you most excited about in the downtown wow. core? Good there's, question. there's so much going on. Um, uh, I'm excited about the waterfront, of course. The port's got a, a cool master plan that uh, is in for review for their 10 to 12 acres right next to I-5. That's going to be an amazing project as well. Um, aside from that, I think um, we really want to see a grocery store downtown. We are 
I think getting close to having enough rooftops downtown that can support a grocery store. Cool. I hear about a grocery store downtown all the time. All the and time. And if I'm hearing about it all the time, <laughs> I know you guys probably are hearing about it constantly. We are, yes. Mm-hmm. We're very aware that uh, that other people, not just city staff, are interested in seeing that come to downtown. Mm-hmm. And if we can attract the right grocery store, I think that is that will be another sign that, um, that Vancouver has arrived. And I, I think it would be a, a sign that um, Vancouver is not just... Vancouver's downtown is not just for offices and banks. There's there's a lot of livability right here. Wanted to make another plug for the the last edition of Sunset Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, they they listed Main Street as one of their favorite Main Streets. Mm. Main Street is awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and talking with us. Yeah. Thank you. It was fun. All right, so we are sitting down for... Do we get any suggestions, or are we going with Ashley's Corner? I haven't seen any suggestions yet. So for the foreseeable future, this is Ashley's Corner. Ashley, are you cool with that? Uh, if I must be. Do you have a better you don't idea? Have, you don't I have don't have be. a better idea. That's the thing. And so it's kind of just like, well, that'll work. Mm. <laughs> so what's uh, what's going on this weekend, Ashley? Uh, well, the weekend section this week's all about the local theater shows, uh, since it is winter time and the weather is kind of meh so it's a great time to stay inside and act out things um so the magenta theater is doing their winter show which is called waiting in the wings and it was actually it's it's a play that was actually turned into a movie a couple years ago but um it's about a old home for retired actresses hmm and they're still as catfighty and as glamorous as, as they want to be. And so it all comes to a head when a new um, retired actress comes to the home and she was formerly married to one of the, the other ladies' ex-husbands and, and old lady drama happens and someone tries to burn down the house and yeah. It's, Where's the Magenta Theater located? Now it's it located, moved, right? yeah, it moved a couple blocks up the street. So it's still in downtown Vancouver. Cool. It's um, I think really close to the Source and the Kiggins. Okay. Yeah, so that'll be running um, from February 10th through the 25th. Cool. Yeah, and then there's a couple other theaters coming up. Uh, so Love Street uh, Playhouse up in Woodland, they're doing uh, Southern Comforts, which is about uh, a couple who kind of meet each other later in life after they've both kind of gone through things and, and kind of find love and get a second mm-hmm. chance. What's cool is the actors playing the couple um, got married last year in real life. Um, Clark College is going to be performing the musical You're in Town. Ooh, that's a classic. That is. It's a fun uh, satirical take on the world uh, where you have to pay to use the toilets and the corporation is evil that owns all the toilets in the world. But yeah, both of those plays start on February 17th. We also have this weekend is the Sweetheart Hangers Dance, which is at uh, Fort Vancouver's Pearson Air Museum. And it's basically an ode to the World War II USO dances where, you know, the soldiers on leave and, and the people in town would just have a good old... Um, dance and they have the Vanport uh, jazz orchestras playing Um, they'll have lots of special Valentine's things and drinks and everyone's encouraged to wear vintage clothing so cool it's supposed to be pretty fun yeah that's an old standby here in town yeah and it'll benefit the fort which is kind of nice and then the Mandarin immersion program um, at Jason Lee and Franklin Elementary is hosting a lantern festival because it's still the end of Chinese New Year Mm. because Chinese New Year lasts like two weeks goes forever Um, So they've created their own uh, lanterns, and then they post, um, and they hang them up outside um, at Franklin Elementary School 
and they hang riddles between them. Apparently that's part of the lantern festival mm, viewing mm-hmm. tradition. So you can go through and look at all these lanterns the students have made and then like try to crack some solve the riddles. Sol- solve some riddles. Cool. Yeah. Um, it is also the Interstate Bridge's 100th birthday. Yeah, I heard something like that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it turns 100 on the 14th, I believe, of February. PDX Bridge Festival is actually hosting a little birthday party for the bridge on Saturday from 3 to 6 at the Red Lion at the Jansen Beach. Um, and Vancouver's uh, WSU Vancouver will be doing a presentation. They kind of decided to try to recreate the opening ceremonies um, using sound. Um, so they're trying to basically take you back in time to what it would have been like when the, the bridge first opened. But I think there's also going to be like a lecturer there who's going to give some context to what was actually going on in the cities around the bridge the time it was built. And I heard there's going to be a pretty sweet deal on uh, local books that are like a history of the local bridges and things like that. Yeah, so it's not often you get to celebrate a 100th birthday of a thing. So that'll be fun. No. Also, the it's I mean, it is near Valentine's Day. So a lot of people are doing themed events that way. Um But the local wineries in Clark County are doing wine and chocolate pairings. I think around like 15 now in Clark County. Try their, sample their wines. A lot of them will be releasing new things. Uh, Sample a lot of chocolates from local chocolatiers, fondue, truffles, all those things, and just have a good boozy time. So anything else going on out there in the world? There are a bunch of movies to watch. Um, both Camus, Liberty, and uh, Kins will be showing the Oscar Shorts mm. films, which are really fun. Yeah. Never been to one, but it sounds great. Yeah, so you basically get to see all the nominees for the Oscars in the different categories. So there's mm. the uh, animation category, the live action category, and the documentary category. That sounds great. Yeah, and if you want to fulfill your Oscar Oscars bingo card, um, the Portland International Film Festival starts up this weekend, and they have a bunch of the four language um, Oscar oh, contenders cool. on their on their list and that runs through the 25th <laughs> so of all of these events going on that you listed which are many uh, which one is Ashley's pick of the week Ooh. Ashley's Ooh. hot choice Ooh, I don't know if I can I can do that like I already I'm, I'm narrowing it down for you because there's so many more posted in the weekend section every Friday it's true so there's not one where you're like "Ooh, that one there that's when I would go to if you only had 20 bucks for one event, mm. and maybe a sandwich. Mm. Um, hmm. I don't know. I'd probably go to the sweetheart dance, because I like to get my, my vintage dress on. <laughs> All right. You heard it here, people. There's a million options to choose from. Anyway, thanks for helping us out. And Anytime. See you next week. Oh. That's a wrap. All right. So, yeah, that's our show. Ta-da. Uh, so... On a personal note, I alluded to this last week, and I'm shouting this from the rooftops for anybody that wants to hear it. I am moving to downtown-ish Vancouver, just outside of downtown. Would you call that part of town Midtown? I mean, uh, it's uptown. It's uptown. Yeah, it is in uptown. So, oh, okay. Um, and I just, I, I, the reason I bring this up is because, boy, it. I understand how people moving who maybe don't have great credit or their income is not. Or don't have a lot of money saved up. Don't have a lot of money saved up. Moving. We found a place that um, the landlord seems super cool um, and has been really helpful and the neighbors seem super cool. So I think we got pretty lucky with where we found. But um, we looked at a place in uh, in. In, kind of in that same area in in Shumway, the Shumway neighborhood, and it was a 350 square foot studio, 
and it was not it wasn't super cute like it didn't have the charm that i really wanted but there were when i got there there were six people look going to view that apartment Mm -hmm. and i mean you can just see you know the competitiveness of trying to get it's a renter's market it is it's a landlord's market. That's that's what I mean. Yeah, that's it's a I mean. it's a. It, I mean, and this guy that we ended up applying and, and moving into the place that he owns, um, he put us through quite the rigmarole to get through this place. I've never been through an application process. So, I mean, on one hand, it's great because it's like it tells me that he rents to some cool people. But on the other hand, we had to do we had to provide a, a bio of ourselves and picture of our cat and proof of cat vaccines and wow. written paperwork of references mm-hmm. and um, it was a pretty intense process and mm-hmm. all of it all of this happens like if you're looking for an apartment you got to be ready to drop everything in your day go view that apartment and then harass the landlord to get an application and yeah, get an completely. application in because it is it's, it's, it sucks i mean you're you're sprinting to the finish line there for apartments so. i mean renters are such a captive audience on one hand it's like good on that guy for like protecting his investment making sure good oh, people totally. are moving in. Yeah. But you know, it's like at the same time, like renters are totally uh totally subject to the whims of the market and they have no bargaining chip they can bring to this. Yeah, thing. I'm not going to negotiate with the guy for the price of rent. I mean, maybe we'll start to see that becoming a thing. Well, but... after somebody else builds all kinds of houses, yeah. renters don't build apartment buildings. They don't build complexes. Right. They are totally subject to the people who do. Right. Well, and, and what we God, found I in feel the... like I'm dangerously wading into socialist grounds. <laughs> and I don't mean to do that. <laughs> we try to avoid that on this podcast all i'm saying is as a renter all you can bring is your rent yeah Yeah. right exactly exactly patty had that great patty hastings we've had on the show a couple times had that great story about how it's cheaper to if you can afford a down payment if you can make the afford the down payment it is cheaper to buy than it is to rent in clark county but i Mm -hmm. i wonder as we get these four thousand plus multifamily homes coming on what is that going to do to that shift Um, Mm -hmm. if anything there was a great story from the denver post um a a little while ago uh that talked about how they had a record year for multifamily construction and now rents in the city of denver which is a very expensive place to live are going down so it's Mm -hmm. possible like it can happen well that's how it goes it just takes time for the adjustment to happen and the market to fluctuate but we could go on about this for hours, but you guys have things to do. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I would say thanks for tuning in. And uh, please get in touch. Tell us what you think. You can email us at podcasts at Columbian.com. And you can subscribe on iTunes. You can also find this podcast on the Columbian's homepage every Thursday. Uh, we are also on SoundCloud and Stitcher. We are. If you have any story ideas, let us know. 